0: But we are going to dive right back into 1 Thessalonians, and we are going to be in chapter 5 again. Remember, last week we started chapter 5, and this week we are going to continue on in chapter 5. I'm going to double up a little bit, but if you would stand with me, and we will read the words of the Lord. Not yet. I like where you're going, though. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. These are the words of the Lord. Praise be to God. I love your enthusiasm. Come on, guys. We're getting there, though. I mean, we're getting there, aren't we? Yeah. Okay, so what we're going to do now, I'm just going to say this up front. Again, kids in here, this is the same sermon that I wrote for today on the bridge, so we're not going to be here for an hour and a half. We'll, make the, we'll try to make this quick. Um, so this first section, I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit awkward for me to preach. Because uh, the, this first section, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to, see, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So I'm just, this is pretty much all I'm going to say about that section. I mean, I'm going I'm to go through it. But this is the main thing that I want to say about this section. Thank you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. When I think about our church and I think about, so this is talking about uh, me and your elders, right? I, that's all I can say. I, this, I've never uh, attended a church that I think did this better than you guys do. I, I don't really feel like I deserve it. I don't really feel like I've earned it. Um, But I just wanted to say that. I wanted to say thank you to you guys. You guys are extremely loving. My family has been unbelievably cared for, unbelievably provided for, both through uh, the, the organizational aspect of the church and by you guys individually. I have never experienced such kindness as I have over the last seven years from the people that are in this room. So I just wanted to say that before we Actually break this up. So three things he kind of divides this into. First, they labor among you. In the Greek, this actually means to grow weary, tired, exhausted with toil or burdens or grief. Oh, yes. Yes. My wife and I and my kids took a month off this summer. Uh, We took three weeks of that month driving back to New York to see uh, my wife's family. We were there for a week, and then we took a week driving home, seeing a bunch of sights uh, and that was the long, obviously the longest period I'd taken off in seven years, and it was unbelievably refreshing. Um, by the end of that three weeks, we were extremely homesick for you guys. We were homesick to sleep in our own beds and to be in our own home, yes, but man, I missed you guys when we were gone. But there is definitely something about ministry that, is, uh, that causes me to grow weary, tired, and exhausted. Uh, because I'm not dealing with um, reports or paperwork or shipping manifestos or whatever it is that you guys deal with in your jobs. I Like 90% of my job is people. And the, and the, uh, the ramifications of the words that I'm saying right now and the words that I say every week and the, the study that I do all week long has not just, um, it's not just life and death. It's more serious than that, and that weighs heavily on me, and it has an accumulative effect. So, I uh, here's a tip: don't make the joke to your pastor if if you're visiting here and you have another pastor. Maybe shelve the whole joke about working one day a week. Like I understand where it's coming from, ha ha ha, but uh, it's just not true. And it just shows a real uh, lack of understanding um, about what your pastor does for you and how much time he spends uh, laboring and praying over your very soul. So, just a tip, shelve that joke for heaven. Then we'll all laugh about it together, all right? Awesome. They are over you, okay? So they exercise a position of leadership Or rule. Now, this isn't like everybody submit to me, I'm the boss here, right? That's not what he's trying to communicate. In fact, the term here is most often used as fathers managing households. Now, you're like, well, that's kind of how my dad um, fathered me. Well, it's probably not how he should have fathered you, and that's probably not how you should father your kids. I mean, yes, our kids need direction. Ask my kids, they get lots of direction, and they get lots of um, rules, and they get lots of boundaries, but if there's anything that I learned from my father, is the ways that he led me and the ways that he nourished me were not most of the time through those things. Those things are necessary. But the things that I think back on my childhood on and the things that I now experience as a man because of my father's work in my life, it's because of his uh, daily time on his knees on my behalf, the daily time that he spent on his knees on my kids' behalf, on my wife's behalf, like all of the things that he did, the conversations that we had, the ways that he led me that really impacted my life were not in a domineering fashion. They were in an encouraging, uh, freeing fashion. In fact, I remember, um, so my dad's dream for me from the time I could listen was that I was going to grow up, I was going to become a pastor, and I was going to replace him at Jefferson Baptist, the church that he pastors, and it was just going to be this family business, and I was going to take over for him. And, and uh, so I went uh, to college in Portland met my wife, graduated. He offered me a job as the youth pastor at his church, and I had a job offer before I graduated from college. It would be stupid to turn that down, right? So I accepted that job offer. We moved back to Jefferson. I went to work at his church, and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. Now, that had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with the church. It was all me. But the end of three years of working for my dad, I was faced with the prospect of going to him and shattering his lifelong dream. So I walked into his office. I sat down. He knew right away from the look on my face that this was going to be a serious conversation. I said, Dad, I want to quit. I want to move my family back to Portland and I want to coach basketball for $1,500 a year. You know what he said? I think you should do it. Because he knew it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him, it wasn't about his dreams, it was about me, my family, us finding our own way and God's will for our lives. So when it says in here that they are over you, they're exercising a position of leadership, this is what leaders are supposed to do. This is what fathers are supposed to do. They're supposed to raise their kids in such a way that their kids are living their own lives, not living the dad's life. And that's what a pastor, that's what an elder should do, to lead in such a way that the people in the church are finding their places in the world where they're supposed to minister, where they're supposed to to make a difference in the world, not just do what I want or be just like me. I mean, we can all thank Jesus right now that everybody in this room is not like me, right? That would be annoying. My gosh, And then third, the third thing here is that they admonish you, right? This just means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. Now, that's a little, let me try to say that in layman's terms because that doesn't make any sense to me. Part of my job, a big part of my job, especially in preaching, is to direct us through the Word of God about the ways we should go and the ways we shouldn't go, right? That's what he just said. I cannot think of, probably, I can count on one hand, and this, this probably should change, right? We've talked about this before. I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've had to go to someone in our church and say, you need to stop this. Four of the five Uh, resulted in that person not ever coming back to this church again. Because, let's be honest, we don't want to hear this. We don't want to hear from anybody that what we're doing is wrong and that we need to change it. We don't. And uh, as we move forward in this passage, I just think that you're going to see that this isn't just my job. Okay? All right, here we go. Uh, he goes on and he says, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, right? Let's just read uh, chapter or verse 14. We urge you, brothers, brothers, plural. Now he's moving on. He's talking to the whole church. He says, hey, uh, talking about the leaders, h- hold them up in love, esteem them. This is what they're doing. And then he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now he's not talking to the, the, the elders or the pastors, Who's he talking to? The whole church, right? So he just got done saying how like the pastors and the elders, those who are over you, they admonish you. And now he says you're supposed to be admonishing each other, right? In the same way that the father is to set an example in the family of how the family is supposed to act towards each other, right? Dads, you see this all the time, and moms, right? You see your uh, child, Um, being impatient with another one of your children right and you scold them for it and then how are you scolding them for being impatient with impatience right we are modeling for our children how they will act whether it's in a good way or whether it's in a bad way and if we want our kids to be patient we need to model patience for them right is ralph here ralph's not here Ralph, uh, if you know Ralph, uh, have you, if you've known him, where is he? Is he here? He's here somewhere. All right, if you've known Ralph, I uh, just see Joanne. If you've known Ralph longer than 10 minutes, you've heard him say this. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. That is gospel truth. Gospel truth. And so in a lot of ways... Uh, Especially in the, early, the earlier years of our church, I would look around at some of the weaknesses of our church as an organization, and I would be like, ugh, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, and my wife would go, that's you, that's you, that's you, right? And so, uh, necessarily, I had to bring other people in to, to key positions of leadership and say, you do this because you're good at that, because our church was weak at every single area where I was weak. Why? because we model for one another. So when we admonish, we have to do it in such a way that is going to encourage others to do it the same way. And if I'm constantly standing up here telling you guys that you're not good enough, you're not doing it right, then that's how you're going to treat each other. And that's how you're going to treat the world. Now, I might be overstating my influence on your lives. I hope, hopefully I am right? Hopefully you don't just go out and mimic everything that I say. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So number one, admonish the idle. Number two, encourage the faint-hearted. You and I are to encourage one another, which requires that we see one another, that we experience one another in everyday life enough to know when we are faint-hearted. Because most of us come into Sunday morning, "Hey man, how you doing?" "Man, I'm just faint-hearted." Anybody ever heard that? I've never heard that once in my entire life. Right? And you can change the wording like, "I'm having a hard week." Most people don't come into Sunday morning and say that honestly. That happens at a coffee shop or over dinner and lots of other places, but it hardly ever happens on Sunday morning. So it requires that we are more involved in one another's lives than just Sunday morning. If we are only involved in one another's lives on Sunday morning, we will not be able to encourage the fainthearted, which we are commanded to do. Number three, help the weak. Same thing. Same thing. Now, we can infer a lot of things about weakness Here, but I believe the main weakness he's referring to is weakness in our faith. We have to encourage, we have to help the weak. And then he says, Be patient with them all. Be patient with who? The idle, the faint hearted, and the weak. We must be patient. We've already talked about it, I'm not going to go over it again. Verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to, go- to do good to one another and to everyone. So he says to one another, right? Seek to do good to the other people in your body and to everyone. Who's that? Everybody in your life. The world. Right? So sometimes um, I've heard people talk like, oh yeah, we Christians, we treat each other with kindness, but then the world, ugh, they're evil and we're against them. Obviously that's not what Paul or Jesus would want any of us To do. We seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul said it uh, a little bit more clearly, a little bit more detailed in Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so uh, real quick before we move on, this is one of those passages that sometimes we pick and choose the parts that we want to quote, right? right. So we want, like, it's, it's cool for us, and it's easy for us, and sometimes we want to quote the part where it says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Mm. Yeah. But we like to stop there, don't we? We don't, we don't want to, to hear the words, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. First Peter in, uh, it says in chapter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I heard Tim Keller say one time that... Um, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't the self-deprecating like, oh, I stink, I'm no good. No, no, everybody's better than me. That's not humility. That's just self-deprecation. Humility is having eyes to see others instead of myself. That's humility. So if I have eyes to see others um, Tim Keller also said it's impossible to offend a truly humble person. Ouch. I get offended daily. I get offended by inanimate objects. Right? Car won't start. I'm offended. But it's impossible to offend a truly humble person. We need humility in the way that we deal with one another. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice, rejoice, always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. That's a command, not a request. Now notice what he did not say. He did not say, uh, be happy always. He did not say, um, don't worry, be happy. Okay? He did not say, put on a good face. Uh, My dad, kind of like Ralph, if you know my dad longer than 10 minutes, uh, you've heard him say, you don't have to act how you feel. Like that's, I mean, he's famous for that saying, at least in my family. We're like, yeah, yeah, we get it, Dad. And what gets lost in that sometimes is that uh, not because of his intent in any way, but sometimes if we don't qualify that statement, you don't have to act how you feel, we can we can get a version of that that just says, do the right thing no matter how you feel. Um, Put on a good face. Right? It becomes religious. Like we put on a good face, we smile, we say we're doing fine um, because I'm not acting how I'm feeling. I don't think that's the intent of the, the saying and I don't think that that's how we should act. But, If we think about that idea, don't act how you feel in regards to this command, rejoice always. We are constantly, you and I, faced with choices throughout every single day where we can do what we want or we can do what God is asking us to do. Now, sometimes those things align. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, it's not very often. Usually the things that I know the Word of God is asking me to do is contrary to what I'm feeling. So when, when the Word of God says rejoice always, that means always. So then we have to talk about what does it mean to rejoice, right? Philippians 4.4 4 says this again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Again, this seems like one of those otherworldly things that's not possible. Rejoice always? I'm a bad Christian. We're all bad Christians, right? Come on. Pray without ceasing. Can't do that. Here's what Paul has to say about prayer. We're just going to go through the book of Thessalonians, then we're going to go beyond really quick. I'm not even going to quote the whole verses. Uh, In chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 2 and 3, he said, we always thank God for you, mentioning you our prayers. We continually remember you before our God and Father. In chapter 2, verse 13, he says that we also thank God for you continually. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 10, he said, night and day we pray most earnestly. Romans, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, God is my witness how I constantly Remember you in my prayers at all times. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Colossians 1, 9. We have not stopped praying for you. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Paul says this uses this kind of language all the time, over and over and over. He's pressing us more and more and more into prayer. My small group is reading a book right now called Recapturing the Wonder. And at the end of the book, he has these things, how we can carry out the, 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 the things that we talked about in the chapter. So here's he calls them pathways. Here's how you can actually accomplish this that we just talked about. And In this chapter, he talks about this idea of breath prayers. Uh, prayers that you can say in a breath, Uh, a shortened scripture passage like, Lord, I cast all my cares on you, right? We can train ourselves to commune with God, to talk to God, to be with him continually. So when he says pray without ceasing, he's not saying that you walk around with your hands folded and your eyes closed mumbling, right? Right? He's talking about having a relationship with God who's, who, who promises to be with us always. Right now, Jesus is with us in this room through his spirit. He has promised us that over and over in his word. We can communicate with him any time that we want. You have the position and have the privilege of being able to commune with the creator of the universe whenever you want. How often do we take advantage of that? I can think of thousands of things in our lives, in your life and in my life, that take a higher priority than communicating with the creator of the universe. How jacked up are we? And Paul's command is to pray without ceasing. He's right there. He's waiting for us, waiting. He's just waiting for us to talk to him. He wants us to talk with him. And so we need to train ourselves to more and more and more. in right in all of these things that he just talked about, like admonishing the idol, being patient. I lack patience. So what do I do? I go to the Lord and I ask him for more patience. Like, what is our response to the things that happen throughout our day, right? Our response should be to turn to him. Whether it's sitting down in a regimented time where I have set aside just for him. Or if it's breath prayers constantly throughout the day. We are commanded to pray without ceasing. Verse 18, giving thanks in all circumstances right so that's the third thing he just asks us three impossible things rejoice always never stop praying and give thanks in all circumstances there you go no big deal right unreal come on paul do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god that's philippians 4:6. Most of our prayers, maybe not most, often, often our prayers could be categorized as whining. We do not spend the majority of our time in prayer giving thanks. Some of the most powerful things. I have ever experienced in this life through the Holy Spirit have been people giving thanks for things that the world couldn't make sense of. When the world sees the body of Christ giving thanks for things that the world would say are the worst things possible, that's when the world gets turned upside down. And that's when the world is forced to look at things that they don't want to look at. These are not just things that we're commanded to do because we're Christians. These are things that we're commanded to do because God wants us to be holy, and this is how the world sees Him. As we continually press into these things, as we refuse to act how we feel, this book that we're reading in our small group is talking about how uh, we are constantly being discipled, we are constantly being trained to look at the world in a certain way and to look at everything around us in a certain way. And one of the illustrations that it used was the created order, right? We do not, uh, our world does not view uh, the cosmos, right? Our world views the universe, which is a cold, cold, Dead thing that happened by accident, and we're just kind of here for a little bit, and then we turn to dirt. The world does not view the cosmos as this thing that was spoken into existence, in which every single thing serves a particular purpose that is all leading to one goal. Same thing, two completely different worldviews, right? And everything about the world is training us to view everything around us and even our own lives in this way. And so we have to train ourselves through the word of God and through the body of Christ to to view the world in this way. And these things are how we do it. By rejoicing always to refuse to give up prayer even for a second and to give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you in Christ Jesus? That you would rejoice always, that you would pray without ceasing, and that you would give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the Spirit. All right, so does anybody recognize any of the things that we just talked about? If you read through the list of the fruits of the Spirit, All the things that we just talked about, make that list. Isn't that interesting? God's desire for us is to walk more fully every single day in the power of the Spirit. So he gives us this long list of instructions that we can be trained in holiness and says, don't quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now that's the big P word, right? How many of us come from uh, backgrounds uh, that included what we would call prophecy? Come on, it's safe. Safe place. I did not come from that background. How many of us came from backgrounds that, um, that that was viewed as something that happened thousands of years ago, but doesn't take place anymore? Right? Most of us are, just don't want to raise our hands or don't know. That's okay, too. right? We're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Sam. That's okay. Now, um, we're not going to get into this. Okay, I just want, I'm just going to say a couple things about this. I believe in this. I wholeheartedly believe in this. If you want to have a conversation about that, we're, we'll teach about that in the future. Um, we've taught about it a little bit in the past. Uh, but this is something that I believe deeply in. And, but there's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, about what it is and what it isn't and how it looks. Um, but I'm going to say this as well. Paul says, don't quench the Spirit, right? Where he's talking about all these other things, but he's also talking about this. How would a person uh, give a word of prophecy? Through the Holy Spirit, right? Because if it's not through the Holy Spirit, it's not a word of prophecy. So there are some things that we have to look for in that, again, that we're not going to get into. But he also says, but test everything. Okay, I'll give you an example of this. Again, I'm kind of, I'm getting knee deep or ankle deep in the deep end. Uh, and so if you're going to leave, if we're going to move on from this little subject and you're going to be more confused than anything else, I'm okay with that for right now. Uh, but there was a... All right, I kind of have to finish my story from earlier. So I left that church, right, my dad's church, went back to Portland, coached for $1,500 a year. You can, I mean, you can predict how that turned out, right? Didn't work. I had, you know, I had two kids at the time. We had a third while we were up there. It just didn't work. But during that time, I was remodeling houses. I was doing all this other stuff to, so that I could coach because that was my passion. That's what I wanted to do. And after about three years of coaching, I walked into my coach's office and I went, I don't think I can do this anymore. And he said, yeah, I saw this coming. And I was like, all right, um, why? And he was like, um, I don't think that you want to coach. And I said, I think you're right. Every day at practice, I'm supposed to be helping these guys with their jump shots and, you know, they're learning the offense and learning the defense. You know what I'm talking to them about? How's your walk with Jesus? I could care less about basketball. He said, Sam, you're a pastor. And I was like, I think you're right. And I can tell you this right now, I've had conversations with my dad where he's like, I knew you were a pastor, but you had to figure that out for yourself, right? So I moved back to Jefferson, uh, ran a dog kennel, and just we just started figuring everything out. And through uh, ye- months and years of prayer, um, we decided that we were going to plant a church. So then we um, started uh, leading a small group. I got involved at, at Jefferson Baptist leading small groups, and one of the small groups that I led was actually it was in Sublimity, but in this state and area, and um, it just kind of started to form. And none of the the people in the small group at that time knew what was in my head. They were just people that attended Jefferson Baptist from this community. And uh, through, again, months and years of prayer uh, and conversations with my dad and with other people, um, we just started to to move this direction. During that time, there was a lady at my dad's church um, who uh, came up to me. She didn't care for the associate pastor who my dad had told everybody, hey, this, you know, Mike is going to replace me when I retire. We're getting that, we're getting towards that end. So we're going to start making this transition. Just an amazing man. Amazing man. Like on a scale of one to 10, Mike's a 13. Like he is just that good. Uh, So this lady comes up to me one day after church. I had happened to preach that weekend at Jefferson Baptist and she came up to me after church and she said, God told me, that you're going to replace your dad and Mike isn't. Now, I already knew that she wasn't the biggest fan of Mike. Um, And I already knew that we had spent months and years praying about the direction of my life and my wife's life with my dad, with Mike, and with the other elders, and so we kind of had already a plan in place. So at that point, I can go, okay, God told her this, so it must be true, right? Right? Or I can test what she's saying against the word of God, against the wisdom of the leaders of the church, and we can weigh this thing out. And I didn't have to weigh it very much. But this is an example of what he's talking about. Just because somebody tells you, God told me this, God told me to tell you, this is the same lady that also told another guy in the church that if he didn't lose 50 pounds, God was going to kill him. I think he's gained 100 pounds since that day. That was 15 years ago. doing great. God told her that, right? So we don't despise prophecies, but we test everything. Just because somebody claims God told me this doesn't mean that God told them that, right? We have to be discerning. We have to test things that are told to us, but we don't despise prophecy. We do not despise words that are given to people So we have to live in this. And this requires a certain amount of discernment. And this requires a certain amount of knowledge in the character of God and the Word of God. Because if we don't know, you can see this all over your TV. You turn on certain channels and there are guys saying, God told me this, God told me this, God told me this, send your money. And people are just sending them millions of dollars because God told them. Right? You have to know the Word of God. You do. Like All of these, these instructions, all of these admonitions are given to who? To us, not to me. This isn't just me. This isn't just my job. And for that matter, don't ever take my word for anything. Everything that I say from this spot right here or in a conversation out there, you are responsible to weigh against the word of God. And I am responsible for what I say and I am held to a higher standard. The word of God says that to me. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So if we're to zoom out, right? If we're to zoom out just a little bit and look at this, um, these 11 verses that we just read, what's the purpose of everything that Paul just shared with these people and with us? The building up of the body. The building up of the body. When Paul says, be at peace with everyone, and then he says, admonish the idol, like two sentences later, right? We don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to admonish another brother's idol. We don't want to encourage someone if it means maybe uh, saying something to them. Uh, sometimes there have been uh, people things that people have shared with me, like, hey, I had this dream, and God, like, I feel like God's pressing this thing on me to share with you, and... There have been a couple of times where people have shared things with me that cut deeply. But as I look back over the years, I see, man, that cut was sweet because that prevented some things in my life that I probably wouldn't have been able to avoid without that. But when we think in our 2018 American sense of what it means to be peaceful, we want to be tolerant and to not ruffle any feathers, but that's not what peace looks like according to the Word of God. According to the Word of God, iron sharpens iron. And we are refined through fire. And we are to admonish the idol. Right? Now, what that, what that meant for them literally, as we've, Talk. If we zoom out a little bit further and look at the book of uh, First Thessalonians, they were struggling with some things, right? He is encouraging them in holiness and pointing them to their hope. But there were a lot of people that were just living off of the church and they quit their jobs because Jesus is coming back. Why would I even invest in this world at all? They weren't contributing to the body. They weren't contributing to society. They would just become takers. And Paul's saying you need to admonish those people. You need to call those people out. Tell them that they need to get to work. Get off their rears. Sorry, I kids in the room. Their bottoms. But that doesn't seem like peace to us. But you are commanded to do it. You are commanded to speak the truth. And so am I. We are commanded to build up the body. That's you and that's me. That's us together. Now here's the point where I was going to say, and one of the ways we build up the body is by eating good food together. Well, hopefully you got a donut because that's all you're getting today. (laughs) So I'm going to pray that the worship team is going to come back up and we are going to continue to worship. Normally we would have communion, but with the little kids in here today, I thought maybe that's not a good idea um, because technically we're not supposed to have any food or drink in this room. So don't tell anybody that we do that. All right, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have taught us through the book of First Thessalonians and that you continue to teach us. Father, we ask that you would give us more of your spirit. Lead us into our, uh, a knowledge of you that is deeper. God, this is something that we can never fully grasp. We can never know you fully until we see you face to face. We can always grow more deeply in love with you. We can always grow in our knowledge of you. We can always grow in holiness. God, I pray that this would be the single most important thing in our lives is this pursuit. That all other cares, all other desires would pale in comparison to this. But Father, we cannot do this alone we need each other, and most importantly, Father, we need you. So we ask that you would send your Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, and give us the strength to do that to each other. We ask these things in your name, amen.